We're going to open up a new series today, and the topic is, in general, one another, one another statements. And uh, we're going to be looking at this for the next six weeks, and so I have the opportunity to kind of lay a foundation and to set the stage for our exploration over the next six weeks. And I was thinking that one of the most impactful analogies that I've seen, metaphors, is when I encountered this uh, story about a tree. And the redwood trees that we have in California are truly amazing. Did you know that the average redwood tree grows 275 feet tall, if you let it go? In our Sierras, there's many, there's hundreds of redwoods that have grown over 300, 350 feet. A bunch of them measure 30 feet in diameter from, from one side across. It'd take you, it's like 80 feet to walk around it. You guys probably heard of some of these. You got General Sherman. It's 36 and a half feet across, like diameter, if you like, were to cut it down and put a line across it. You know, and anybody heard of General Sherman, General Grant, the grizzly giant? Have you ever stood there at the, the, the base of a, of a giant redwood and looked up and at its, just, its grandeur? You know, it's, it's amazing. They weigh about 2.7 million pounds. You know, that's like 100 elephants. You know, I mean, it's longer than a football field if you were to lay it down. So one tree. But what I find even more fascinating is that their roots only grow an average of about six feet deep. And some of no deeper than 12 feet into the ground. That was fascinating to me because I love trees. You know, I've long had this, I, you know, this used the, the metaphor for, for what uh, the spiritual life looks like as, as a tree. And then I picture your deeps going deep, roots going deep down into, into who God is and in his truth. And, and then I was thinking about, you know, the idea of, you know, you grow up and then the fruit that grows into your tree, you know, like the fruit of the spirit. And, and th that image uh, was really powerful to me. I'd often like, I like those little pictures of a tree, you know, you see it like silhouetted against a beautiful uh, sunset. You know, and it's just up there, the oak tree standing tall. But it was a challenge to me because I always thought that in order to be a big tree, you needed deep roots. So how do the shallow roots hold up this massive tree? How does it keep it in place? The trees grow in these, in these grooves in the ground, and the roots spread out wide by like, like 100 feet or 150 feet sometimes in several different directions. And along the way, all those roots are intertwining and interconnecting with the other tree roots. I want to read, I've actually been in a study called The Journey with a group of uh, believers here at 9 o'clock on Sundays, and I'm going to read a little section from that. It talks about the, the redwoods, and beneath the feet, you're standing there uh, looking at this redwood, but beneath your feet, these giants are holding up one another in a community of interwoven roots. Because of this, their stability and their strength is multiplied. 
many times over. Their foundation becomes larger than their height as you're intertwined to them and they're intertwined into another. They've been able to grow large and strong because they've done it together. Just as there is no redwood tree that has endured for centuries without the help of other redwood trees, there's no disciple that has been able to thrive without the community of other disciples. You agree with that? So what is this community that God has given us, and why does God want us to live in this life-giving community? I'm going to suggest three things. Number one, the church, it's a community of oneness, and it's God's plan for his glory. The community of oneness. And that's a phrase I'm going to use a lot because God has done so much to get us there. How passionate is God about creating a community of oneness? So how would you describe community? What is, what is community to you? Does anybody shout off a, a definition if you were to define or describe community? What's that? Community is encouragement, okay. A group of people living together. Of one mind. Neighbors, you got the whole neighborhood. That's the community. All right, good. Yeah, a group of people with something in common. That's good. Okay, working for each other. All right, I'm going to read this quote. It says, The biblical idea of community is always situated on an axis balanced by two convictions. There's a conviction, number one, that a good God finds forsaken persons who are alienated, separated, far away from all that makes for hope and well-being and calls them into a covenant people reconciled to all that makes for peace and freedom. And second, that this redeemed people then responds to God by embodying their experience of God's salvation in their relations with each other. So how would God describe this community? I'm going to read it just a series of, of verses. Number one, Ephesians 3, 17 to 21 reads, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the length, the width, the height, and the depth of God's love. And to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or imagine, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. You know, we are not perfect. Ephesians 2, 19, 22. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints, members with God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So we're being built up. We're being built up, built together, and as a result, this building, 
the result of this building up and being together is that the Holy Spirit can dwell among us. God has a purpose for the community that he has established. In fact, we are on display. It talks about his glory being known in the church and through the church, but Ephesians 3.10 says this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. We are on display. So I just started asking, like, why does God want us to live in this life-giving community, and what does this community look like? How does God describe it? I think he's sought to establish his light in the world through us, this world that's characterized by darkness. And I think that God might also say, let me describe to you what this community of oneness is and my plan for community by, by asking, well, what's Satan's plan? What's the enemy's plan? I'm wondering if Satan's plan is to destroy the church that God has established, to make it so that we cannot accomplish God's purposes for glory and unity and his uh, Holy Spirit taking up residence. Satan's plan to destroy the church seems clear to me that we have an enemy who is out to destroy this oneness, because look what Satan does from the beginning. God created him, Adam and Eve, and they experienced the perfect oneness. There's a picture of community. God created it from the beginning. Oneness with man and a woman, one flesh, with one creator, walking in the cool of the garden, and Satan didn't want it. And as soon as Satan got in there and got his way, all of a sudden it was like, whoa, I'm exposed. Whoa, look at you. Hiding in shame. Isolation, covering up. And then you have Cain and Abel. Satan gets into the picture. What does he do to oneness? You got Cain and Abel. And there's violence. And there's envy. And there's hatred. These things that destroy the oneness. And they take the building that God is building together. And it becomes hard to identify that there's a Holy Spirit living in that community. In John 8, 44, it says, You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. And then you have the Tower of Babel and their pride and their arrogance, and they thought they could build a tower to God. And the result is that they were separated, unable to communicate, unable to come together. If God's plan is to create a community of oneness and Satan's plan is to oppose God by destroying his plans for the community of oneness, then what are we to do about that as the church? The way to avoid this 
is to learn how to fend off the temptations and to fight for oneness. We're going to have to diligently pursue and protect what God has desired and designed so that we get what he's designed. You can look at Acts 2. Acts 2 is the picture of the church in its infancy, right? One thing about the church in Acts 2 is that they kept coming together. The community of oneness in its infancy was the idea that these was, was displayed by the believers coming together. Coming together in the community of oneness is a spiritual habit. It's a habit that God has provided for our mutual edification so that we can together grow up, so that we can become stronger, so that we can be built into a dwelling which the Holy Spirit dwells, resulting in his wisdom being on display, resulting in the angels in the heavens being at awe and resulting in the glory of God being magnified. It's a gathering that allows the church to practice things that it treasures that God has given us, like baptism. A celebration of a life given to Christ, a heart captivated and won over by the Savior by the glorious grace of God, baptism. We do that when we come together. It's a gathering that allows us to practice the Lord's Supper, remembering his death and all that he's done. It was established at a shared meal together. It's a regular reminder to come to Jesus as a community of followers we are interconnected by design. You can pull against it. You can wish it weren't true. You can isolate yourself. But God has called us to one another over and over, and he's shown us the way forward. And it's not an easy journey. It cost Jesus his life. The good news is, that in every way, he's done the hard work for us. He's done the hard part. But they were given instructions on how they were supposed to live together in this new reality, the new community of oneness that's on display, which brings us to our central question, how are we to live in life-giving community of oneness that Jesus died to create? In light of our enemy and our own weaknesses, we're going to have to fight for it. So take a moment with me. We're going to see what the Bible says. We're at Romans chapter 15. Now we who are strong also, or we who are strong have an obligation to bear with, to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us must please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even the Messiah did not please himself, 
On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another, according to the command of Jesus Christ, so that you may glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, with the united mind and voice. Therefore, accept one another, just as the Messiah also accepted you, to the glory of God. For I say that the Messiah became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers and so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing psalms to your name. And so the capstone of our passage today, which is in Romans 15, is Romans 15 verse 7. Therefore accept one another just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. Accept one another. So in Romans 15, what we have is we got, we got six pointers, all right? We're going to walk back through Romans 15 this morning. We're going to look at what it says to us about how we're supposed to live in this community of oneness. But there's a, a present reality in our culture that we're, we're dealing with. We live in a very fractured community right we live in a very fractured community we live in the the unfriend the unfriend community unfollow unsubscribe not participate not interact and keep my distance culture they call it the cancel culture right the cancel culture a culture is an environment much like a community it's it's the environment in which a community lives and they all accept a certain set of values they all have a value system that they prize that describes what what makes it work that's the culture right and there's a danger in our culture but the reality is that there's danger in our church culture too that we can let the values of our outside culture begin to infect the way that we tend to live and treat each other and operate but why do we do this why do we unfriend and unfollow and we keep our distance when we're afraid of being affected by someone or infected by someone we keep our distance when we're afraid that person's going to affect me. We don't want that person's stuff to be near me. We don't want that person's attitude near me. We don't want that person's reputation to affect mine. We don't want that person's problems to become mine. So we distance, we distance ourselves socially. Is this the way Jesus intended for his followers to live? Socially distant? In Romans 15, we see six aspects. Number one, Romans 15, one, the strong bear the weaknesses. Now, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and to not please ourselves. It's the strong 
that are encouraged to bear with the weak. Number two, the strong don't please themselves. Each one of us must please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And our example there is Jesus. Let's look at Romans 15, 2. Each one of us must please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even the Messiah did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. So number two, the strong, we're not just supposed to please ourselves, okay? Number three, we need God in order to live in harmony with one another. Romans 5, 5 says, Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Jesus Christ. You know, I was part of a singing group in college, and uh, they were pretty good. I say they. Here's why I exclude myself from that story. You see, there was a friend of mine, and uh, he was discouraged. And another friend of mine and I were trying to encourage this brother. And we were in a singing group, so we thought, how about we sing one of our songs together, kind of like over over this brother, and try to encourage him with whatever he was uh, thinking about or going through. So we ended up singing a song together that we both knew well with the, the purpose of encouraging our friend with the words. And we started out, we were doing fine. But my friend that was singing with me suddenly shifted to the harmony. And after a few more words, I completely lost the melody and I started singing what he was singing or a skewed version of it. And, you know, the song was about to derail. It was almost off the tracks, and so he, like, recognized it. Quickly jumped back to the melody, and there we were. We were able to proceed. And we had a little bit of a laugh, like a chuckle in the middle of trying. Even, even the guy that was discouraged, like, laughed at us. Well, me. Because <laughs> I couldn't hold the melody uh, against his harmony. But that's the metaphor that's in play here. There's supposed to be harmony. And when someone near you seems to be following a different score, it's sometimes difficult to create harmony with with that line or hold it very long because it's not the same as the line that you were hearing. But we need to step back and ask, Hey, are we singing the same song? Are we worshiping the same God? Because maybe we're supposed to live in harmony together. Here's the good news in all this. It says this. May the God who gives endurance encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another. So guess what? You're not going to be able to do it yourself. The good news is 
It's gonna take God for you to live in harmony with one another. I thought about beginning the sermon playing, you know, who, who knows a song that's got really good harmony? Just the name of a song that you think has really good harmony. I actually searched this, this week, songs with great harmony. Wanna know what it came up with? The Beach Boys? Anybody gonna say the Beach Boys? How about the Bee Gees? I was like, the who? The Bee Gees? No, just kidding. I don't even want to try to repeat what you said because I'm going to get it wrong. Say it again. All right, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. <laughs> I don't know who it is. You know who I wanted to play? I was going to play uh, Andrea Bocelli and Celine Dion singing The Prayer. I was like, well, they're talking about prayer. I mean, it's got, it would fit. But then I, like, I watched it a few times, and I liked it. But I was like, it just, I'd rather talk to you for five minutes than listen to the song. But the idea is, harmony sometimes is, is difficult to hold for very long. When you're talking about living in harmony with somebody who's just going slightly different than you. They got a different way of doing things. Maybe they're a worrier and you're not. How am I going to live in harmony? How am I going to find the harmony if you're an extrovert and I'm an introvert? Or if you're just closed off, you're just not a very open person. And I just want to tell you everything. We got to find ways, you know, even within our personalities. Or the way you prefer to worship, how much you move when you sing, what songs you like, how you decorate your house, how many kids you have, or how you treat your pets when I come over to your house. There's all sorts of things, how you voted, how you feel about wearing a mask. There's all sorts of things that can get in the way of us living in community if we're gonna choose to let those get in the way and not fight for harmony. And the end result, we gotta remember, is that God's glory is at stake. How much does God care about his glory? I mean, his church, and like, there's, there's no other means right now by which God has said that I'm going to put my glory on display. It's the church. It's us. And all the other churches in Carmichael right here. It's us. We're the community of oneness. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So verse five, I mean, so number five, we have to accept one another, just like Jesus accepts you. Romans 15, seven, therefore accept one another, just as the Messiah who also accepted you to the glory of God. There are people who rub us the wrong way, and there are people, you know, there's actually people who have offended us. They offended us. What do we do then? There's, actual, there's people who not just offended us on accident, but they've actually hurt us. They've sinned against us. Colossians 3, 12 to 13 says, Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, 
humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Yeah, there's going to be times when you've been hurt or harmed or hindered by someone in God's family. What does it look like to forgive and accept? Well, we can learn from each other, those who have gone before us. We need to be vulnerable in these areas and honest. But ultimately, we're forgiving as Christ has forgiven us, and that says a lot. I do have more to say on what it looks like to accept, but before we get too far, I want to clarify a couple things. Number one, I'm not saying that we need to become enmeshed with unbelievers. This isn't permission to demand that, like, see, all are saved. We're all, we're all in Jesus. Accept one another. You know, God warns us not to become unequally yoked with unbelievers. It talks about what partnership does one have between faith and the unbeliever? There's clarity in the Bible about how we get into this community of oneness, and it's faith in Jesus Christ. Don't think for a moment God's asking you to get married to your unbelieving girlfriend or boyfriend. What are you doing? What are you thinking about yourself or God's word to make you think that you stand outside of his way and his will? This is not what this verse is saying. Let's just accept Number two, I'm not saying that we need to try to harmonize with a believer's sin. I'm not saying that you can live in harmony with sin. If you're off key, there's no music. But we're talking like when, when you're letting like certain preferences, vocabulary, things like race become obstacles to you having deep connection, interconnectedness, then you're off track. And third, I want to be careful with this picture of harmony that we don't take the metaphor too lightly. Oh, it's just about singing. You know, like, this doesn't really matter if I don't obey this command so there's no music. You know what I mean? The metaphor is useful but we could also just be like, let ourselves off the hook because we're not taking the, the challenge lightly. But God is asking us to live in harmony and accept one another. And he's told us that it's going to take him to really do it. This is a journey. We're going to have to fight for it. Well, it seems like I'm talking a lot about what accepting isn't, right? But what does accepting look like? And in verse 7, Romans 15, 7, Therefore accept one another just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. In verse 8, For I say that the Messiah became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing psalms to your name. Accepting looks a lot like serving. Not pleasing ourselves, 
not doing what brings us pleasure in the moment, like getting up and leaving as soon as I'm done talking, but instead embracing something that's better for somebody else. Walking over and having a conversation, maybe. Accepting looks a lot like hospitality. I said it looks like serving. It looks like hospitality. Creating space for the unknown to become friendly. Creating space for the weak to grow in in strength. Creating space for the new believer to build deep roots. Creating space for the unfriended to become a friend. Creating space for a friend to borrow from your strength and for you to lean on theirs. So accepting looks like serving, it looks like hospitality. And remember this, that Christ has accepted you. This is what it looks like to accept somebody else. What did it take for Christ? What does it look like for Christ to accept you? You who are once far away have been brought near. It's to the glory of God. Christ has accepted you, so accept one another. Maybe we need to quit being so easily offended by each other. Maybe we need to cut each other a little bit of slack, I guess you could say. Like, what good is You approach a group of people. You're already convinced in your mind that they don't want you to approach them. You quickly, you interpret every mannerism as if to find an evidence that, yeah, I was right, they didn't want me there. You gotta, we need to learn to recognize when we're playing the victim role and choose instead to be the one who accepts others by moving forward toward them in relationship. What does this look like in a youth group? What does this look like to be accepting in the youth group? Be the person who's looking for the person who's looking for a connection. Be the person who's looking for the person that's looking for a connection so that you can go over there and you can make that connection happen. So are you accepting one another? Are you pursuing harmony? Or are you simple, simply like tolerating one another's existence? Because truthfully, we might allow ourselves to think that maybe, maybe this is God's way. We just gotta coexist. But that doesn't sing the song. That doesn't get the melody played. That doesn't get the harmony. There's no song. Maybe you're pushing them away. Maybe you're not letting your roots get interlocked. You're all bottled up. Your roots are like, your roots are like in, a, in a shallow flower pot. And you got them safe and you're secure and you're not going to let those get entangled. Others aren't able to draw from your strength. The strong have an obligation to the weak. Recently, I was encouraged to ask this question. The question is, what's the difference between proximity and community? 
The difference between proximity and community. You know, there's a bunch of trees, one of my favorite places to grow, it's full of trees. They've got a bunch of Chinese pistache and then red maple and, you know, but the other day, wind blew, boom, almost all of them fell over. You know why? Because they were at a nursery. Yeah, I mean, they were all there, but they were all bottled up nicely and neatly, and they didn't have any roots, and their roots certainly didn't interconnect. That's proximity. You're all in community because you are approximately near each other. But what does it look like for you to have real community in this family so that we can have the oneness that God has created in order for him to be glorified so he can put this church on display so that the heavenlies look at and say, wow, how in the world did you bring these two together? How did you bring the Gentiles and the Jews into one community with one God, one Father, one Spirit, one baptism? The oneness. When the storm blows, are you going to stay standing If you're not living in community, you're setting yourself up for failure. If you aren't accepting one another, then you're on your way out of real community. And you're most likely just finding proximity in your life. So don't settle for proximity. Make sure that you're accepting one another, letting this community develop deep roots that interconnect into Christ and his truth so that we can become the building that God is building so that his Holy Spirit can dwell among us and shine brightly and that the world can't deny its light and they'll gather around to experience this amazing display and enter into life, discovering life together. Amen?